1,000 Better Stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Hello and welcome to A Thousand Better Stories. My name is Joanna Vilohi and I share the role of Scan Story Weaver with my dear colleague Casca. It has been an absolute pleasure and joy to discover new creative tales about climate action and climate justice and supporting their tellers to tell them through our blog, A Thousand Better Stories. You can read this and other stories and poems and watch short stories in the blog on our website, scan.scot, under A Thousand Better Stories. And if you have a story you would like to tell us and have it featured in our blog, please do get in touch. In this episode, I would like to introduce two of my favourite stories published in the blog with the support of our storytelling mini-grants, read to you by their authors. Our storytelling mini-grants are currently closed for applications, but we aim to open a new round in April this year. So if you want to produce a story with the help of this funding, you can find all the information on our website, again, under a thousand better stories. The first story we bring you today, a poem in three parts called Nem Talamuir, plunges us into Celtic folk and myth to speak of the connection between humans and nature. Nem Talamuir was created by Karna, a sisterhood of wild poet and mad artist, trying to excavate the gold mine of truth in a world that is increasingly afraid of it. In their own words, their concussion of creativity and politics becomes a further manifesto of what the human existence can become. Read to you by one of the sisters and tellers of the story, Erin Rizzato, I leave you with the magic of Nem Talam Muir. Nem, the joint eater. Lifting from the bog just above the earth where the honeybee hives and the spider spins its thread, there the fairy mounds are found, swelling from the land. She drops from the veil of the morning, seeking some forgotten crumbs whilst the children of men are at play. She gallops on wings, lifting the sky with lightness of being, with tender curiosity as she finds a lost corner of shortbread, the golden pond of whiskey at the bottom of a glass left out for her to find, amongst the occasional greed of men, the crackles, the baby talk. Talam, the lone werewolf. Awakings as a corner of the soul, braving the cruelest frosts without availing himself of homes, of clay, of flame, split among species, indigenous to the woods of solitude and commotion, the werewolf, half human, half wolf, nails and claws, 
word and howl, host the wrath of the journey meandering the forest, the fury exploding as the blunt weapons of man in war. When the coldest winters dig their teeth into his neck, stone, wood, bone are the only meat of emotion, the sole pit of melancholia. There in his loneliness, desolate herald of winter, strength may fail him, but courage should not. Muir, the ancient race, restless as the waves and scales of an infuriated sea, from beneath their eyes, as the forces of fortune and chaos, to ride above the chests of sleeping men, the quiet mares inhabiting the depths of time, the ocean of silence that sings when sheets of noise overlap in time. Whilst grace kisses man in his conquests of life, there the ancient race snaps its lips, reaches its palms to catch the innocent cruelty, the plastic island dwelling on the surface, the boat of sadness and helpless despair that comes with the smallness of man and his brave endeavours skating off time. Is it the sky that cracks, or the sea that overflows its boundaries, or the earth that splits, or is it the loud cry of my son fighting against odds? This is a passage which we drew inspiration from to talk about the sky, the earth and the sea. That is where the title Nem, Talam and Muir come from. Um, and we had the honour of uh, collaborating with SCAN on this project. So um, one of the main themes we look at and that we use in this project is uh, Celtic mythology and myths. So you can see this through the fairies or the Fomorian people. Um, and it's a theme that runs through our personal project, Karna, which is made up of a sisterhood. So two sisters, uh, which is me, Erin, I am the poet. And I'm Ymir, the artist. And uh, we collaborated uh, through uh, a poetic reinterpretation of some um, elements from Celtic mythology. Uh, so I wrote the poems and then these were passed on to uh, Ymir, the artist, who uh, gave them a visual life also. So uh, we decided to use these as we believe there are elements in Celtic mythology in particular that um, belong to our modern world as well. So for example, the notion of uh, the environment and how this greatly um, belongs to our life and how uh, this affects us in a way. It affects our way of seeing the world itself and it affects who we are uh, at a deeper level, I believe. So we wanted to make these uh, stories that people could read and apply to their own life in different ways. Obviously, like uh, mythological stories that you obviously are in the past, but we wanted to make them about uh, present life and uh, problems that we have in a modern society. Yeah, I, uh, for example, I believe the, um, the connection is made 
through the example of the Fomorian people, who were an ancient Irish Irish race. They were thought to be the sort of prototypes of human beings. And uh, in the poem, for example, they are reaching towards this island of plastic, which is what we're making the seas today, to be honest. And um, I think um, it is interesting to think about what they would see if they looked up and saw these islands of waste and plastic and all the things we do not recycle in an organic way and uh, how we can create bridges also between uh, the traditional thinking of these creatures and uh, um, how we imagine them to be and the world we are actually creating today with our practices and behaviours and uh, our ecological unawareness. So as Erin was saying before, our uh, way we like to work is Erin usually starts off by writing. Um, so in this case, she wrote these poems inspired by stories. And then she passed them on to me and I came up with a visual representation, which I think can everyone can see in their own way. So for example, for the, um, the one Erin was talking about just two seconds ago, uh, the sea. Uh, how I created this monster that almost is reaching up towards this wee boat, which I think um, could be us, you know, just sailing through life. <laughs> and um, So, yeah, I, I just like to give visual that is not um, strictly mine, my own. I like to make it available and applicable to everyone in their own way. And obviously, I think it accompanies well Erin's words. So, yes, that's also how we like to work in general in our projects. Erin does most of the writing, so the articles and the poems. And I do uh, usually either a cover or um, an illustration to go along with her words. I believe also it's this project was interesting in particular because we were using uh, more traditional stories which were pre-made and um, it is always interesting to think about how we can reconnect with those old stories that are part of us in some way. They're part of our, our culture, they're part of our way of seeing the world because for instance the Irish way was a very peculiar way of seeing the uh, Irish and Celtic more generally was a very interesting way of seeing the world because it was divided in three parts so you had the earth below you which was often represented by a female like entity and uh, the sky above you and then the sea around you so how how you're positioning within these like at the crooks of these three dimensions um, also conditions how you see the world as opposed to I feel like what we're trying to break here is the dualism of uh, the classic way of seeing the world today which is the sky and the earth no and mm -hmm. the sky is something yeah. that we are meant to depart because the earth is below us so it's something that we should surpass because it's it's dirty and it's like we're rooted to this place but we're striving to ascend away from it in a way that is like that explains all the the search for you know uh, life away from earth also the uh, yeah the grandeur of like departing from where we are yes and also for the imagery i would like to add that um the i got i was very inspired by um original um representations of mythology so mm -hmm. the werewolf the sea monster which is you know uh, like androgynous it doesn't have you know um 
aspects are either male or female and um the fairy so very um <laughs> yeah almost story like so mm-hmm. what could you talk about the methods you have used Yes, for this particular project, I stuck um, stuck with um, watercolours and paper, obviously, because then we, uh, for the original uh, version of this, uh, which unfortunately we didn't didn't present, but uh, we just sent through um, digitally, um, we printed the the poem with our typewriter, Mm -hmm. and then I actually painted on top of the paper, so it was almost, um, you know, um, literal way of working Bounded together. Layers yeah, also. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, I I would also like to add that um, by doing this work of sort of creating layers upon layers upon layers, both between ourselves and also between generations, I would say, and between layers of time almost because we're talking about stories that like span centuries Mm -hmm. and centuries and have somehow managed to survive and to come to us in this moment of time and um, I think it is very interesting to think about um, both the the cultural meaning of this of how for example Scottish artists and Scottish writers and Scottish uh, people who enjoy these things um, can help these works to survive in a way. These yeah, works, that, community, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. How they can contribute to communities and how to, they can contribute to community building also because around the story you gather and you come together, and uh, also how I believe politically they can uh, present a contribution because they're an exercise of the imagination, and I think that is what we do with Karma is. We create um, instances where we force ourselves to think beyond the present and think about what could be uh, better and how we can make it better and how our minds can strive to be better by imagining these things. I think that is a very important part of our work. Yes, and I think the the act itself of storytelling, we bring that a lot into Karna as well because we when we started... Karna, we saw, we chose the name Karna. Do you want to say why the yeah. island? So Karna is a small island um, uh, in the north of Scotland and it's uninhabited, uh, but it has so much biodiversity in terms of plants and uh, insects and all other animals that live there. And um, so we decided to, to um, use this sort of natural haven to describe our our group, our project, um, and sort of carry on the the environmental uh, aspect of it, Mm -hmm. I believe, to leave something uh, naked but still covered with nature, in a way. And also, um, we saw it as not a point above where we could see, you know, um, tell what we see and, you know, make people face the truth and reality, but... um, also present it in a different way, whether maybe through art and through poetry, people mm-hmm. are a bit more open to listen, you know, and face these harsh realities that sometimes are quite overbearing or, you know, um, 
people don't want to face. So, yeah, we try and um, bring that through our art and words and get to as many people as possible. Yeah. You can find us on um, Instagram mm, through Cardinal Mag, or we also have a website where we like to post uh, articles and um, all of our uh, artworks. The second story, The Egg Hunters, is a heartwarming adventure by writer Gazelle Buchholz about the power of community action and recovering what we thought was lost. Gazelle wishes to strengthen people's connection to the natural world with her thought-provoking stories. She's an associate in the Surefoot Effect, a community interest company, which aims to equip people, communities and organizations with skills for sustainability and resilience. In her home country, Denmark, she graduated with a Master's of Science in Communication, of Scientific Knowledge, and a minor in Creative Writing. She's based in Scotland, and after the publication of her first fictional book, Sleepless Tracks, in Danish, she works on finding ways to get stories out in English. Listen to Young Isla's inspiring adventure, read to you by its author, Gazelle. The Egg Hunters the other, it doesn't work. The eggs keep drifting away, says Doreen as she stands by the white living room window and looks out at the pouring rain in the garden. The water has created miniature streams that run across the borders between the neighboring gardens. Perhaps a fox ran away with them, he suggests, absent-minded as his attention is bound to his work documents scattered on the dining table and conveniently distracting him from the infinite downpour. A fox wouldn't be that smart. It would only go for real eggs, Doan concludes monotonously. She says in the same tone, we ought to do something about the waters. Perhaps installing something to retain it, she says with the gaze fixed on the outside world. When he looks up from the table, his eyes meet the back of her head. We could, but I doubt it could be at any help as long as the rain constantly buckets down. There seems to be no end to it, he concludes, and his attention returns to the paper on the table. But what else can we do? Her hesitant question hangs in the air. She gathers herself and sums up the daily statement which is identical to the previous days. The news affirms the rain is here to stay. There's no weather clearance inside. She pauses before capitulating. I better call Mirren. The kids will be devastated when they hear that the Easter hunt is cancelled. Doreen signs and reaches out for her phone, worrying how her grandchildren will receive the news about the tradition's termination. Isla sits by the window, her favorite place in the flat on the third floor. Her mom has told her they will get a visitor and has instructed Isla to wake her up when that happens. The visitor's name is Doreen. Isla's world takes off from the window. Her mom has not complained about the chair Isla has pulled in front of the window some time ago. The chair has kept its position as a stairway. 
When she climbs up on toilet and sits on her heels, her elbows can lean on the windowsill while her heads rest in her palms. Umbrellas in blue, green, purple and red light up as they move along the city's grey path. Underneath, the round shells are directed by people, but sometimes it's almost as if animals or aliens control the umbrellas. A slow, dark brown umbrella makes her think to the TV program with a horseshoe crab moving across the sandy seabed. There might be a horseshoe crab under the umbrella. Perhaps it has eaten so much that there is no more food left in the sea and it has grown up to a human size and had to go ashore to find food. Luckily, with the rain, the horseshoe crab human will not feel too alienated on the pavement. The doorbell interrupts the wandering. Before heading to the door, Isla checks on her mom. She sleeps heavily as usual and doesn't react to the bell. Isla opens the door. A woman smiles. She says her name is Dorin and Isla steps aside. The woman asks if her mom is home before she enters. Her mom is sleeping and it is difficult to wake her up, she replies. Isla wants to add that her mom is most likely in a bad mood when awakened, but does not. She would rather chat with the visitor. Where's your umbrella? Isla asks. I got here in my car, so I don't need an umbrella, Dorina replies. Oh, says Isla in a low voice and searches her mind for something else she can ask about. Don't you need it for hunting? Hunting? Yes, when you go into the supermarket. Everyone got one. They all shake it when they go in. I see. Sure. I do have an umbrella, but today it's my husband going hunting in the supermarket, Dorin says with a large smile on her face. Isla detects it is a friendly signal. The woman is not laughing at her. To her relief, the woman takes up the chat. What about you? Do you go hunting after Easter eggs? asks Dorin, still smiling. Isla looks into Dorian's eyes and enjoys the soft tone of her voice. She would like to stay in the shower of light and kindness. Perhaps you will have an Easter hunt in the flat, Dorian suggests in response to Isla's silence and with an attempt to get her on track. Isla looks puzzled by the Christian and casts her eye over the apartment. Sofa, TV, table and chairs. None of these familiar pieces connect to X. All at once, she walks quickly out of the hallway. Dorin takes it as an invitation to follow. They end in the kitchen in front of the fridge. It is my job to keep the drinks cool, so I know where everything is, Isla declares seriously as she opens the refrigerator door. Bottles clink as her hand wiggles around in the fridge, aiming for the treasure chest. Carefully, she pulls out the egg tray and opens it. There is one left, Isla exclaimed triumphantly, while gently picking up the egg with her thumb and index finger. With a stretched arm, she presents the cat to the visitor. They both look intensely at the white chicken egg. Well done you, says Doran. 
Isla finds the game odd, but the pleasantness of hanging out with the grown-up makes her feel comfortable. Is it an eater egg? Isla wants to know. For a moment, the woman looks puzzled before she understands and answers the question. Oh yes, this is indeed a very good species of an Easter egg. Doran confirms and suggests to Isla to put the egg back in the treasure chest to keep it chilled until Isla's mom will cook it. Doreen also suggests they go hunting for other food items in the flat. As weird as it is, Isla guides Doreen and she likes the gentle and focused visit and that they are on a shared operation. When they reach the cupboard, where Isla presents the bag with raisins and packets of biscuits, she jumps back to the egg hunt. Imagine finding eggs in the wild. We can't chase raisins and biscuits, but we could find birds and eggs in the nature. They might be in the park, Isla exclaims eagerly. What is that nonsense about going into the wild? You got to go to school and do your chores, mumbles her mom. She has emerged from the sofa and the door frame of the kitchen supports her abrupt vertical position. The two other look at the sudden appearance. I told you to wake me up when we got company, Isla's mom adds sulkily. Months after, Doreen keeps thinking to that egg. Shortly after, eggs disappeared. As he walks through the supermarkets, he notices that they eventually have reorganized the section usually occupied with eggs. They have given up waiting for eggs. In the section usually stacked with trays of them, the empty space is replaced with soft drinks on discounts. She wonder if that last egg at Isla's place was ever eaten, or if it drowned in beer cans and bottles would have first priority. In the supermarket, under normal circumstances, there would be an endless egg supply. Any supermarket would have shelves packed with eggs, cage egg, free ranch, and organic eggs, chicken eggs. For decades, the song thrush, skylark, lapwing, and house sparrow have declined, but why worry about that? Their eggs don't have shelf space on the supermarket. Only because Theodore was a keen bird watcher, Doreen would dust off some memories of a few moderate articles squeezed into almost hidden column inches in a newspaper. She remembers how it had upset her husband. However, only chickens and their eggs made it to the headlines, thinks Doreen as she is standing in line waiting to pay for her groceries. Wish we could go back to normal state store to herself with a sign and unfold her umbrella as she leaves the supermarket. It's like a reverse evolution, says her daughter excitedly. Since Miriam was a kid, she clearly inherited her dad's interest in birds. Dorin often felt she was left on an island of emptiness when the two of them went out on field trips, or even worse, when they shared experiences between them when she was in the room. Bitterness creeps in when thinking of the oceans of hours spent trying to relieve teenage aggressions in an attempt to reach her daughter, and then her husband took off with the most smiley, joyful version of their daughter, towards birds, 
Doran never felt she cracked the code, but the tensions eased out as Mirren grew up and got her own children. That is what Doran assured herself. It makes sense if you think of it. You have these creatures, descendants of dinosaurs, stuffed into storage with nothing to do beside laying eggs. It's like, if you don't use your muscles, they will degrade. Atrophy, Mirren says, throwing out her arms. It sounds plausible what have been put up as a theory, with no place to take a dust bath, no need for insulation and keep warm, they have no need for feathers. They go back to where they come from, they reptiles with scales instead of feathers, says Mirren's dad in admiration. But the shift might make a class in the care of eggs and the newly hatched chicks. Feathering birds are keen on taking care of their offsprings, fewer reptiles are on that task. It could leave the eggs vulnerable, his daughter follows up. There must be some birds or new reptiles or whatever they are escaping into the wild and make it, adds Doreen to the family think tank. They both look at her baffled. It can't be the case, Theodore states surely and continues with his teacher's voice. Look at the news. It's all about mass bird death these days. It's years ago we heard that the majority of egg-lying hens got broken keel bone, broken from within, Nothing was done at the time, and it kept going downhill. The artificial breeding pressure causes the destruction of the very same egg production system, and the birds bred to lay too many and too large eggs. Escaping birds would have been found, or they wouldn't make it as free beings. There isn't much wild nature left. Farmland and city life isn't exactly the optimal living place for the new reptiles, the changes are happening too fast. Whether they are old or new egg-lying creatures, they must all have collapsed. Doreen sees the picture. It sounds horrible and depressing, but also she feels like being in a lecture room where she has to come up with solution to pass an exam. Father and daughter continue their discussion and Doreen hears words in the periphery as agriculture insects, fertilizers and pesticides while her attention is pushed away and she stares at the rain on the other side of the window. A nagging feeling is poking her. Her mind drifts back to that day with the last egg, the egg wrapped in the girl's excitement. There wasn't much Doreen could do for Isla. Countless children live in the outskirts of their parents' attention Parents sidetracked on alcohol or drugs with just enough food and elements to tick off a home, passing the requirements of official standards. But what was it the girl said? She wanted to go egg hunting in the wild. Doreen lights up by the idea. If you sign here, then I make sure Isla will have a great day in the outdoors and returns tonight before six o'clock. Doreen says eagerly and points on the dotted line where the mom is supposed to fill in her name. Doreen feels her heart beats. The document is a creative alternative to her typical visits, her personal twist on the checkup. It was easy to copy and paste a few lines from another context and add a line about an excursion. Isla is over the moon of the prospect of a field trip searching for eggs. I don't remember being told you're showing up today and in the weekend, 
says the confused mom. She is settled in the sofa watching TV, but straightens up and clears the corner of the table to sign the paper, allowing her daughter to participate on a field trip organized at short notice. Dorian and Isla take a bus to the outskirts of town, to the closest woodland. During the walk among the trees, Isla looks up and witnesses the canopy roof created by the spread branches and their mosaic of leaves. We don't need your umbrella. The trees are doing the job, Isla says loudly. Dorian suggests they walk in silence, not to disturb any hidden birds. Isla picks up the message and moves like a stealthy ninja. Not all the rain is blocked by the green treetops, so Dorian's boots and Isla's trainers are getting muddy. Dorian notices the black watery soul crawling up on Isla's socks and trouser legs, but the girl doesn't seem to be bothered. At lunchtime, they rest on a couple of stones close to a tree in the most sheltered spot. They eat sandwiches and take a sip of tea which Dorian has brought. Isla breaks the silence when a group of two adults and three children are nearby. Hey, she says and waves her arms. The children run towards them. Are you also looking for eggs and birds? Asks the boy, the youngest of the children. Finding like-minded people in a random gathering and lively discussion gives Dorian a warm feeling in her chest. As they speak, one of the adults pull out a white filter of the breast pocket and receives the reward of audience enthusiasm as if he were a magician, making the Easter bunny appear from a top hat. A soft, immaculate feather was a clear sign. There had to be at least one bird nearby. Fueled on excitement, they share information and knowledge with each other and split up into their original groups to continue the search. Wait here a second, says Dorian to Isla before she suddenly trots back to the other group shortly after they have gone separate ways. What will you do? She's not used to move fast and lets her breath return before completing the question. What will you do if you find eggs? Dorian gravely asks the others egg hunters. Will you eat them or protect them? She adds with furrowed brow and a wondering voice. After hearing the answer, she returns to Isla. Look, says Isla in a whispering cry. They both instantly bend their knees and reach towards the forest floor with their upper body, not to be noticed by the bird. Five trees away, a bird with white and brownish feathers lies restful on something which could be a nest. It looks undisturbed by Dorian and Ireland's eyes and the top of their heads popping up behind a fallen tree trunk covered with mosses. Of course there are survivors, mumbles Dorian to herself. As they keep watching the bird, they get to know its habits and routine. No other bird arrives to share the egg incubation, so they assume it's a female. Finally, the bird gets up to eat bits and pieces from the soil around the nest. The uncovered nest reveals white eggs. Doran and Isla stretch the neck to get a better look, but cannot count the eggs in the distance. Thrilled by the scene, they stay for a while and the bird gets back to the duty on its nest. 
Not until Doran looks at her watch, she realizes they got to move fast to catch the bus home in time. She would not risk Isla's mom calling the office and discover the unauthorized field trip. Did you see that? Doreen asked Isla as they sprint through the woods. They both turn their head to but a movement near stone. It looks like a plucked hen has taken the run across the ground. It not only looked naked without the feathers, it had some glittering scales, Isla says in surprise. We have to come back and keep an eye on what's happening here, states Doreen and meets Isla's eyes. For the next forest trip, Doreen has invited her grandchildren to join the expedition. But mom, you said it yourself. Easter egg hunts no longer exist. Don't get the kids' hope up. The pouring rain has destroyed the game, Mirren says, sighing. Not really. We have destroyed it. But that's another story. And likewise, there is another story of life and possibilities in the forest. I might even bring you and your dad another time, if you can keep a secret, Dorian says with a light, smiling voice, which is spreading to the whole face. Mom, I'm watching the umbrellas, Isla answers, shouting to reach the other room. She's busy, excitedly dreaming away on the next egg search. Okay, if I bring her the next string, she will leave me alone for a while, she discusses with herself and goes into the kitchen to pick up the next blast to the Eternal's thirsty stream. After delivering to the table, Isla is back on her seat by the window. As the umbrellas drift by, her eyes stop by one of them and she can't believe what looks like sticking out from under. Even though she has imagined it, it makes no sense for a horseshoe crab body to seek protection under an umbrella. It would already be protected from the rain by its armor. She suddenly gets the thought that it is wearing a city camouflage. The birds in the forest need to hide themselves, so why not also this kind of protection? Immediately, Isla starts to track for feathers, fur, shields, skin and scales under umbrellas and at other places normally occupied by city dwellers. I'm going to read now the little blurb that Gazelle sent me. Raised by an alcoholic mother with a dark mind, the author had from an early age been grateful for connections with other people. She had to go through hard times alone but having other people show up in different situations had been an invaluable lifeline. Isla, the little girl in the story The Egg Hunters, also benefits greatly from connecting with someone who is not her relative. Gazelle hopes readers will reflect on their networks, connections and power of supporting others. However, the main subject of the story is humans' relationships with the natural world. In this case, farm animals, with chickens at the centre of attention. Gazelle wondered why governments and people keep supporting a broken food system. For example, in the egg industry, chickens are bred to lay too many eggs and too large eggs, and this breaks their keel bones. How can such a system exist? A recent study shows that 85% of laying hens have broken keels. This is just one of the many unhealthy aspects of egg production. 
May you fill your shopping basket wisely and with compassion. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new Storyteller Collective. You can drop our Story Weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Or simply sign up to the newsletter. Thank you.